Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, this uh, Dennis is right. If you've been here a while, I've been talking to you about how excited I am to start in the book of Acts. Uh, we've just finished. We just finished a study of our five doctrinal distinctives of our Calvary family. I know that there are some of you who are new today who don't know anything really about us. Uh, we are a Calvary Church here in La Junta. We're part of what's called the Calvary Family of Churches. There are at least 30 of us around mostly Colorado, a couple in California and around the area. And um, <clears throat> we, uh, we believe in preaching the Bible verse by verse. We believe in uh, taking God's Word seriously. And we are excited that you are here this morning. Again, my name is Scott. And so when we go through our doctrinal distinctives, those were to help us get a foundation of where we're at as a church and what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And, uh, you know, right here is our, our vision statement. Our job is to make Jesus non-ignorable in La Junta and to the ends of the earth. And that's what the book of Acts is really all about, is how did we as a church, how did we as disciples of Jesus take the message of the gospel out into the world? It is an exciting time to see. This is kind of that what's next question. What happens after Jesus was resurrected? Where do we go from here? And this is what the book of Acts is going to tell us. So why are we going to go through the book of Acts? Why would we do that? Well, first of all, I get to choose through God and the Holy Spirit what we're going to do. And I love the book of Acts, so it's fun. So, but... While I was praying for direction, I mean, I don't just choose willy-nilly. I uh, prayed about it, and I really believe that the Lord wanted us to go through the book of Acts. That uh, he wants us to see that we as a church are a part of his kingdom and his work. That we are a vital part of his work. Rural areas and small towns matter to God. And I sometimes say to people that the valley is a place that maybe some people have forgotten, but God certainly has not forgotten it. So what is the goal of our church here at Calvary going forward? What is our goal? Well, my goal for our church is this. That we live in an area where ministry is sometimes difficult and is slow at times. You feel like you're wading through mud, if you will. It can cause us to wonder if God is really at work. The book of Acts shows us that God is at work everywhere all the time. The book of Acts doesn't end at the chapter 28. It continues on through us as it will continually until Christ returns. So then the question is, what are some of the things that we might learn? What are the things that we'll see as we go through the book? And this is where it gets really fun. This is where it gets really fun. We're going to see so many great things about God. First of all, we're going to talk about God himself. According to New Testament professor Joshua Jipp, who wrote the book Reading Acts, he rightly attributes God as the subject of Acts. He says this, he says, Acts is about God. As Luke's prologue to his gospel makes clear with its claim to recount the things that have been fulfilled among us, that comes from Luke 1.1, Luke through Acts 
is from beginning to end a narrative analysis of God and God's activity. That's a lot, isn't it? But it's fun. We get to see God move. We will see God the Father moving through His people where He wants them to be to fulfill His purpose and expand His kingdom worldwide. For example, in the story of Philip and the eunuch in Acts 8, Philip is said to have basically disappeared from the conversation, only to reappear in Azotus. God moves His people, maybe not that dramatically all the time, but sometimes in your life it might feel like it's that dramatic. We'll, see about, we'll talk about Jesus, the Son. Next week, Dennis is going to be talking about His ascension. One of the greatest things that happened in history. Jesus taking up into heaven to be at the right hand of His Father. That is an exciting moment in history. And Dennis has the privilege of talking about that next week. The Holy Spirit will be talking about His indwelling of God's people and His work to spread the kingdom of God. Sometimes the book of Acts is known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because we'll see, especially today as we go through the first five verses, how important the Holy Spirit really is. We'll talk about the church and its spread across Asia and the Middle East. Bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles and unifying the church around the gospel of Christ. We'll talk about Paul's dramatic conversion. We'll talk about elders and deacons and why they're important and why churches need those offices. We'll talk about missions like we talked about last week when we talked about the Great Commission. The moving of the gospel out into the world. The making of disciples. We'll talk about signs and wonders. We'll look at miracles and tongues and we'll give the right biblical uh, application to tongues. We'll talk about Pentecost, which is that great day in history when the Holy Spirit came. And we'll see at the end of chapter 28 that, like I said, that this is not the end of the book of Acts. The acts of God continue. They continue on even today, and they will into the future. And we are a part of it. And that's why this is exciting. This is our history. This is where we began. And we get to be a part of it. We are part of God's plan. Now this brings us to some essential questions regarding the book of Acts. But before we get to them, let me bow in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, again for this, your word. We thank you for the book of Acts. I praise you, God, for the ability to be able to preach through this. I am so excited for our church and for me, Lord, that we can glorify you by studying what it is that you have done, Lord, and get excited and see how we play a part in this. Father God, I just pray that uh, this morning as we talk about this, Lord, that you would be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the question then is, well, who wrote Acts? Well, most of you would know that Luke wrote Acts. Just as he wrote his gospel called Luke, the Gospel of Luke, kind of an ironic name for a book written by Luke, in Colossians 4.14, Paul identifies Luke as a 
beloved physician. He was also a noted historian who meticulously recorded a detailed account of his gospel and again, the movement of the church in the book of Acts. We read how, um, how detailed and how uh, meticulous Luke is when we read the prologue to his gospel in, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 in the book of Luke. Inasmuch many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. This is what he says right here. He says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Because Luke was a doctor, he was very detailed. You would want a doctor to be very detailed, right? You don't want your doctor to be just about the 30,000 foot level. You want your doctor to be, you know, in the micromillimeter level. That's in there digging, trying to figure out what the problem is. And Luke was like that. That made him a great detailed writer of his gospel. And then also the book of Acts. It gives him a unique place Did you know this? This is a fun fact. This is something that you may not know. But Luke, by sure volume of Luke and Acts, by sure volume, wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. Now, you might say, well, I thought Paul was the one who wrote more. Well, Paul wrote more books for sure. But by sheer volume, by the volume, because Luke itself is the largest of all the four Gospels. In the book of Acts, in its 28 chapters, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. Now this is significant, because Luke was a Gentile. Luke was a Gentile, which means a Gentile wrote more of the New Testament than any apostle. Isn't God amazing? Did you know that? You may have. To me, that was astounding. Luke was also the companion of Paul, and he was with Paul during his missionary journeys. And this made him a first-hand witness to Paul's ministry, which allows him to give us a unique perspective. When he starts on his journeys, Paul writes, or Luke writes, and he uses the term we. He is a part of the team. This is, a, this is not just an author. This is someone that God handpicked To be a part of the story of the church as it moves forward. And we are lucky and fortunate and blessed. I guess really it's not good for Christians to say they're lucky. But we're blessed by God to have someone such as Luke to write all of this down so that we can read it today. When was it written? Well, the likely date by most scholars is between 61 and 64 A.D. And although there are some scholars who attribute it to a much later date, most believe it is between these two dates. And the reason why is because Luke does not record Paul's death. Now, if you haven't read Luke or read Acts in a while, you might not remember that he, he doesn't talk about Paul's death, which a lot of scholars think happened sometime after 68 AD. So Acts had to be written before that. The purpose of writing this 
the purpose that Luke had for writing Acts is to provide a written history of the early church. This is the account of what happened after Jesus was resurrected. Last week we read in Matthew Jesus' last words regarding the Great Commission and that there are four things for us to do with the gospel of Christ. The first one is to go. We're called to go. Some of us will be called to go to places that we would never think that we would be called to go to. Some of us will be called to go next door. Some of us will be called to go down the hallway and talk to our family. But we are all called to go somewhere. Second is we're to make disciples. We're to make learners. We're to teach people. We're to baptize them. Those are the four things. To go, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach obedience to Jesus' commands. Luke's account in Acts provides the details of how this happened. How the Great Commission was implemented. We see how the gospel changed and transformed lives. We will see its power over the government and how obedience to Jesus turned ordinary people into extraordinary tools for the Lord to use for his purposes. What does this mean to us? Well, the application for us as individuals is, as a church is exciting and it's wonderful. The stories of Peter, Paul, John, Philip, and many others should give us faith to know that God uses ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things because our abilities alone do not allow us to do great things for God. Granted, each of us has been gifted uniquely and God uses those gifts that He's given us, but it is the empowering and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that changes everything. The empowering of the Holy Spirit is what makes us different. We see that Paul, when we think of Paul and his transformed life, Paul hated Christians. And then was changed 180 degrees and became the evangelist and church planner to reach the Gentiles. Those he formerly hated the most. We think of Peter. We look at him in the Gospels and sometimes we think of him or sometimes we might talk about him as kind of a, a buffoon, which he wasn't. He just was kind of overbearing at times. But he was an uneducated fisherman, a blue-collar tradesman that God used on that day of Pentecost to preach to 3,000 people who came into the kingdom that day. And the church grew from 120 to 3,120 because God used this uneducated fisherman. Peter became a force for God because the Holy Spirit transformed his life. Stories like this should get us up in the morning and ask God to use us in the same way. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. <clears throat> what would happen if all of us here today became fully obedient to the Spirit of God, unafraid to share the gospel, praying that the Lord would lead us to his people and do his work. And then do it. And then do it. What if we as a church were like the church in Acts 2, 42-47, who shared everything together, met regularly, hated missing each other, Loved being together, prayed together, ate together, worshiped together, 
and not just on Sunday. What if we were like that? What if the world, who was looking for the answer to the question of how do I relate in this mess that there is, sees us as different, loving each other, caring for each other, giving to each other, inviting others in? What would that look like? Do you think Lahunta would change? It did in Jerusalem and Samaria and out in the ends of the world. Of course it would. This is why I want us, what I want us to get from our study of Acts. I want us to see that, that God does use us. And He wants us to use us just like He used us then. It is not a matter of can He. Of course He can. It's not a matter of will he because he will and is doing so now. It's a matter of whether you will let him by being obedient to his call on your life. You might say that, well, I'm not ready yet. I don't know enough. I'm not worthy. Of course you're not. Neither am I. But that's not the point. That's not the point. Peter wasn't. Paul wasn't. By our standards, we're not ready. We're not worthy. But the Lord doesn't work by our standards. His standard is, do you have faith in my Son? In His death and resurrection? And have I placed my Holy Spirit in you? And if the answer is yes in your life, then and only then are you ready. Because it is the empowering of the Holy Spirit that changes everything. It doesn't matter how much education you have, although education, and I will say that theological education is important, but it is a repentant, humble, willing, and obedient heart filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great things that matter most. I think of Isaiah when he was in the throne room of God in Isaiah 6 in verses 8 through 9. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And then Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. And God said, Go. And Isaiah went. And Isaiah went and he did, he did not share an easy message. It was a very difficult message, but he went. And as we go through Acts, I want us as a church to become more excited, more willing, more empowered by the Spirit, more fearless, more trusting in the Lord, more sincere in our love for lost people, for them to bring, for, for God to bring His people into His kingdom. I want a determined church that wants to be a part of God's plan, which is greater than anything that you and I could ever imagine. We couldn't think this up. Let us not put human limits on ourselves, but pray big prayers and hold God to His promises as He wants us to. Ask Him to use you in ways beyond your imagination. And keep praying. 
Don't give up. Don't let the enemy tell you that God can't use you. He can. And He will. Honestly, we could be done there for today, but you're not going to be so lucky. I want us to get through the first five verses of Acts chapter 1 to kind of set us up to next week's great message on the ascension. So as we turn to Acts 1 through 5, or Acts chapter 1, 1 through 5, let us read the passage together. Starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's actually quite a lot in there. And so the first thing that we come across is, you know, who is this Theophilus guy? Who is this Theophilus guy that we have to deal with? You know, we talked about him in, in the book of Luke. And I, I just want you to know that the name Theophilus itself means dear to God or beloved of God. Now, some people think that Theophilus is, is a term that Luke uses generically for all Christians. Now, while this may be true, that it's a play on words for a secondary meaning, meaning this book of Acts, as we know, is not just for Theophilus, but for all of us. All of those who are beloved by God. All of those who call on Christ as their Savior. But Theophilus is a real person. He's possibly a high-ranking Roman official. And this comes from Luke's addressing of Theophilus as most excellent in his gospel in Luke chapter 1, verse 3. And that greeting indicates that Theophilus is important to Luke. He was also a Gentile. Now, Scripture doesn't give us many details regarding Theophilus, but these things we do know. Now, some scholars say that Theophilus was probably a new believer. It needed some teaching. So Luke wrote his gospel and the book of Acts to help Theophilus grow in his faith. To ensure that he had an accurate account of Jesus' teachings and what happened after Jesus ascended. So we need to thank Luke and thank God for Luke because many of us have learned so much from him in his writings. But why would he write to Theophilus? We kind of hit on that. But let's look at uh, Luke 1, 1 through 4. And this is where Luke really kind of expands out in his gospel why he wrote to Theophilus to begin with. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, 
to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That he may have certainty concerning the things that he has been taught. This is why Luke wrote this. He wanted Theophilus to have an orderly account of the things. Something that he could count on, he could trust, that he would know was true. In Acts 1, 1 through 1-5, Luke is continuing with that same theme, but now with the events that happened post-resurrection, including Jesus' ascension to his Father's right hand. In this particular account, Luke in Acts, he doesn't give a preamble like he did in Luke, but he goes straight into the narrative. The genre of Acts is, is done mostly in a narrative form, but it tells of many historical and biographic, biographical stories. And the most prominent of those, as we'll find, are stories of Peter and Paul. Now this next section here is where the short passage gets interesting because this really is a quick summary of Luke's gospel. So when we look at verses one the second half of verse 1, and then through verse 3, we're going to notice some things. Let's read them together. It says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. There's a lot of stuff in those two and a half verses. There are eight things in those verses that talk about Jesus and his work and what he did. That is a pretty good and quick summary of his message, and here they are in case you missed them. The first one is Jesus, he talks about Jesus' actions and his teachings. The second, he talks about Jesus' crucifixion when he was lifted up. The third is Jesus spoke to his disciples through the Spirit. The fourth is that Jesus chose his disciples. The fifth is he talked about Jesus' resurrection. The sixth is that Jesus proves he is alive to those who doubt him. The seventh is Jesus appears for 40 days before his ascension. And the eighth is Jesus during that time taught about the kingdom of God. Now, we don't have time to go through all of those individually, but understand that Luke does not doubt that Jesus is alive at this time and that his crucifixion and resurrection are historical facts. They're not uh, myths. Jesus died on the cross and he was raised again three days later. This is a fact by the historian Luke. That is something that you and I, we can count on. That Jesus was and is a real person. Luke's educated mind and his meticulous investigation of Jesus found that all of Jesus' teachings, all the things about him, were credible and true. His story checked out. Again, like, like I did last week, I want to I mention this whole thing about Jesus choosing. It's important for us to remember this. 
Last week we talked about, you know, quickly about how a rabbi in those days, a, a budding rabbi, someone who wanted to be a rabbi, would go and find a rabbi, and they would choose this rabbi, and they would follow him around for years, wanting to emulate him and be like him, and then when they would become a rabbi sometime later, they would be just like him. Jesus did things completely different. He turned it completely upside down. He chose his followers. He chose his followers. Just as he chose to create people, male and female, just as he chose Israel and Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the whole pattern of Scripture is that God chooses. Now this is not something that we need to be apologetic for and find troubling because God is God and He chooses whom He chooses. He chose you, Christian. He chose to create you and give you a purpose in life before the beginning of time. He thought of you. He bled and died for you on the cross by His choosing. Now, I don't know about you, but this gives me great joy. But it also makes me really humble. Why would God choose me? I know me. I'm a terrible sinner. All I want to do is my own thing. I don't want to do His thing. His thing's not always fun. I want to do my thing. And despite all the ugly sins I've committed in my life, and in spite of all the ugly sins you may have committed in your life, He has chosen us. He chose us to be His followers, to be His messengers. And He has chosen many others that we haven't met yet. And we need to go find them, trusting that God will lead us directly to them. Luke wrote this at the end of his gospel in Luke 24, 36-43. Starting in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, as Jesus is with his disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands. See my feet. That it is I, myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still dis disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Luke wrote this so that Theophilus would know that Jesus is alive, just like he said he would be. He showed them his scars and had them touch them. He even got hungry and he ate. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be there? One day you and I are going to get to touch him and hug him, and hold him, and feel the scars in his hands and his feet. And we can touch his side where the spear went in. 
our Savior, our Lord, our King, who chose us to be one of His. And we will eat with Him at the great wedding banquet in heaven one day. The bride, which is the church, and the bridegroom, who is Jesus, united together in the greatest celebration in history. And the invitation is open for those of us who trust in Him. And this gives us great hope. Or at least it should. This should cause us to have zero doubts about Jesus and His life. We can be assured that Jesus is alive and He's at the right hand of the Father. And we await His glorious return at any time. Sorry, I lost my place here for a second. We need to understand that, that Jesus came and He is alive. He came and He suffered and He died for us. He chose us and we are His. And now this message that we have to take into the world, we need to take it. We need to become obedient. We need to... We need to be obedient. We need to remember that we can't do anything without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And as we come to the last part, and we look in uh, we get to the last part, the last section that we're at, verses 4 and 5. Jesus does something that's different. Remember last week we talked about going. And this is the opposite. Jesus says to stay for a second. So starting in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, he says, while, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Last week we talked about the Great Commission. At this time, Jesus says, Stay, not go. Is that a contradiction? No. There is a specific reason why he told them that they needed to stay. And this is again what Luke said here in the end of his gospel, starting in verse 44 of chapter 24. He said, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, he said to his disciples. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You see, Jesus opened their minds with the Spirit to understand what the Scriptures said from Genesis to Malachi. He opened it up so that they would understand who He is. To see that He must have suffered and died and be resurrected from the dead so that our sins would be forgiven. Then, He gave them the Gospel message to take out into the world. But He told them that you must wait. You must wait. Because you're not ready, as we talked about earlier. You're not ready because why? Because the Spirit had not come upon them yet. 
And as we look at these verses in Acts, it's a reminder again that once again that they were not ready. They had to wait for the power of the Spirit. Because they couldn't do this on their own. There is too much persecution. There's too much trouble with the enemy. There's just no way a human could do this on their own without the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. So Jesus said, wait. And the promise of the Spirit, just as He said He would come, would come. What separates a believer from a non-believer? The power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see this in three weeks when we talk about the Pentecost. The coming of the Holy Spirit. And get ready for a whirlwind. But I hope that as we study in Acts that this will be like the Spirit, a fresh wind in our church. We've been through some challenging teaching in the last year and a half. But this, this is exciting. This is good news. Not that there won't be things that challenge us. But friends, let me say that if you are here this morning, and you are here and for the first time, you realize that I have never given my life to Christ. I have never been empowered by the Holy Spirit, then today would be the day for you to do so. To give your life to Christ. To repent of your sins. Which, repentance, all it means, it's a beautiful word. Sometimes in church we use that and we think it's like somebody's taking a hammer over our heads and we hate that word. All repentance is, is a turning around. If you continue on this path that you're on of sin, you're going to go to death and destruction. Repentance is God giving you the ability to turn around and into His loving arms for forgiveness and life. That's the gospel. Repentance is a beautiful word. It is God's grace and His mercy given to you. Will you accept it? Will you accept it? If you want to give your life to Christ today, please see me immediately after service. Don't leave. Do not leave. You need to deal with this today. But if you've come this morning knowing that you are a Christian, fantastic. Welcome. Welcome home. Welcome to our church. Thank you for coming. And join with me and the rest of us as we pray big prayers and ask God to do big things. I hope that we won't be afraid to ask him and say, well, he would never do that, or he's not into that. Well, you know, maybe that wouldn't be a part of his will, but if we do not ask him, how are we going to know? We need to ask God big things. To ask him to use us in ways that take us completely out of our comfort zone. Some of you right now are squirming and saying, no way. Well, way. I'm telling you. And it's exciting. Yes, it can be a little nervous. I get that. I remember the first time I stood in the pulpit when somebody told me that I had to preach. And that's kind of the way they put it. And I was like, no. And they said, yes. And I did. And I never turned back. Unfortunately, God gave me a mouth, and I like to use it. And, uh, 
And I love to preach. I love to speak about God's Word. But if somebody would have ever told me that when I was a kid, that I was going to preach, I was so shy, it was unbelievable. I turned so red that I looked like a cherry tomato. Somebody told me I looked like I was going to blow up. I would sweat through my clothes. But God changes you when He wants you to do something for Him. And I'm telling you, that one thing you really hate to do, you better watch out. That might be the thing. Or it might be what you love to do. God may use that too. Ask Him to use you and see what He will do. Twelve men changed the world. Really eleven. And then Paul, Matthias, 13. Change the world. Change the world. Turn it upside down. Not because they were all that great, but the Holy Spirit is. And God is the one who's on the throne. Thank goodness it isn't us. Look at the mess we've already made of things. The book of Acts shows us who God is and what He does. And if we are willing to let Him do that through us, there is no limits as to what we can do. We can plant a church in Los Animas. We can become missionaries overseas. We can reach our neighborhood for Christ. We can fill every pew in this church. We can have baptisms and celebrations of new life weekly. Wouldn't that be fun? Let's do that. What do you say? Who wants to join with me and trust God to do great things? God is God. And we are His people. Let Him use us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, God, for You, for using us in spite of us. Father, I pray that we would be a church that had great faith, that would trust You and ask You for great things, to use us in mighty ways, not for our glory, Lord. Our names don't matter. Yours does. We want them to know You. We want to make Jesus non-ignorable in La Junta and to the ends of the earth. Doesn't matter if they know my name. My name will fade into the past and no one will remember me. But they will remember you because your name saves. God, help us to remember that. Help us to reach our hand out and say, Use me, Lord. Empower me with the Spirit. Let me go in your name wherever it is that you will take me. Praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.